2012 edition of Ordinary Means. I'm your host, Sean Nolan, here with Matt Bowling. Hey, Sean. Hey, Sean. Hey. Matt, can we, couldn't we pick up a conversation from last month? That sounds like fun. That sounds like fun. Let's, Let's do, do it. it. Well, what were we talking about? We were talking about a, a, what do, what do you call the, what do you call a word that everybody throws around? A catchphrase. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Revitalization. Well, and if people haven't heard of that, they might have heard um, turnaround or redevelopment or replants or any of those words are in the similar vein. Doesn't sometimes even reformation. Could well be. Could well be. Or, or revi- revi- revitalized revival. I, I've heard it called revival. And, and perhaps revival... Well, certainly, I mean, certainly any... Um, any vital church is that way because of a work of the Spirit. And so um, I think that you can have a work of the Spirit in one church, um, and if we want to call that a revival in one church, then, you know, a small R revival, then uh, I'm okay with that. Well, yeah, the idea of re- revive, vivify, uh, the idea of putting new life into something is a very is a very biblical idea. In fact, probably revival is the most biblical uh, of the notions. I'm, I'm trying to think if we have in Scripture cases of, uh, you know, you've got Paul coming back to churches that were... That strengthening were, the churches. Yeah, strengthening churches. Churches that were, that were great when he was there, then he went away, and now he's writing to them, and he's saying, oh, you don't want me to come in person. <laughs> Could you, are you really... Are, have you really done that? Have you really... Um, have you really walked away... We talked last month. We talked about Jesus' own letters to the churches in Revelation. Mm-hmm. You've lo- you've left your first love. You've gone. You've gone lukewarm. You know. I wish you were hot or cold. Which, an, which, which solving that? I think is what we're going to try and focus on tonight. How is it? How is it that a church goes from that state to a different state? Yeah. What's the? What is the process? I mean, do we want to be that practical? What does the process look like? It's going to be different. It is. It is. And I think that's I mean that's one of the keystones of our podcast is that w- we don't believe in fads. Mm-hmm. We don't mm-hmm. believe there is one, you know, seven step or 12 step uh or 40 day process that is going to reawaken a church. We we believe first and foremost it has to be a work of God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so that's that's why revitalization is is actually bringing the church back under the auspices of God. A church loses its life when it walks away from God. And bringing that church back to the, what we here call the ordinary means of grace, preaching, prayer, uh, the sacraments, uh, community, koinonia, um, all of these things come together to uh, church discipline, I think would be included in there. Uh, all the you know the the marks of the true church Br- revitalization would you agree Matt? revitalization is the bringing of a church back to where it's supposed to be 
It is because it's gotten distracted somehow. Yeah, it's, and the way that typically happens, I'm really yearning for a whiteboard that you can't have in a podcast. But um, the way that uh, – and I've been ripping this diagram off of a guy that I had no idea that I was until I went back and looked at some of his material and went, oh, I've been ripping off this diagram and not known it. There's a really smart guy that I uh, really enjoy that actually I'm going to see next week named Ken Pretty who does a revitalization work with a couple of different denominations. Um, but um, – he does a diagram that's very, very helpful um, on church life cycle. If you can imagine in your brain that the typical church uh, over about a 40-year time period, and you see this in Ephesus um, scripturally, but you, it's very easy to understand if you talk to anybody who's been in an older church, and both Sean and I are in older churches. But uh, a church goes through a time of incline where people are being reached with the gospel. The reason that the church exists is clear to people. Uh, they know they're there to see the Great Commission fulfilled and to see disciples made. And that starts, obviously, with those who don't yet know Christ, as well as those who know Christ who are growing uh, in the grace and knowledge of him. Uh, and church goes through a period of uh, initial growth, both in spiritual maturity and in numbers. Um, we might call that incline. And then at a certain point, a church reaches a size where very quietly and without any fanfare, without any notice, just because we are selfish and inward um, by nature and without great vigilance, we, we turn inward back on ourselves. Um, a church takes a turn, and it moves into, uh, if you're thinking of the diagram, you've gone up a slope, and now you go onto the plain. And uh, at least the people who study these things call this plateau which is that a church could apparently be doing extraordinarily well. Churches in Plateau have staff, they have buildings, they have nice budgets, they support missionaries, they do good ministry, but the scorecard has quietly changed. And that language of scorecard is from uh, a book. Um, maybe turn around churches. No, I can't think of the name of the book. Um, transformational churches. Okay. Transformational churches. Ed Stutzer is one of the so authors. The, the scorecard that is that scorecard is what you're changes. judging so, the the health of your church upon. Yeah. Yeah. How are you looking at the church when you look at Jesus in Ephesus? He goes, "I know what it looks like when a church has then their first love is me, when their heart beats with mine." And that church in Ephesus, um, I recently said to a, to a congregation, actually, that Sean and I both interned in in an evening service, that church in Ephesus, most of us would have been thrilled to have. Most of us would have been thrilled to be a part of and thrilled to be a pastor of. They had four out of five things right. They were 80% of the way there. And yet Jesus said, because you've lost your first love, despite all these other good things about you, that's what needs to mark a church. Not that he was upset about the other things. He said those things were good, just not sufficient. And so this church had lost sight of the love of Christ for them that pushes us out, that love for God, that sensing love from God, First John, we love because he first loved us. So sensing the love of God moves people to love God and love neighbor. Very simply put. Um... And so a church that has turned the corner, if you will, from incline to plateau has lost that sense of love from God that moves them to love God and to love neighbor. And they've begun to love themselves more than God or neighbor. And that's how the scorecard changes. Take the love of God. They've begun to take the love of God for granted. 
Yes. Yes. It's not not that I wake up and I go, I can't believe I'm loved by God. I've got to tell tell people about this. Instead, what happens very slowly is that there's this corner that's taken and a church ends up in plateau. And what you find is that a lot of the ministry of the church focuses on the people that are already there or most all of it. That that, um, the time spent by people is mostly focused within the four walls of the church. Uh, or within the, the covenant community as it already exists. And there's not much time, if any, devoted to um, life-on-life ministry with unbelievers, which is what marked the church in a period of incline. When the first church is first planted, everybody's thinking about those who don't yet know Christ. That's what they're praying for. They know they're in a spiritual battle. They know that Satan has blinded the minds of the eyes of unbelievers so they can't see and so they pray uh, desperately for people they live sacrificially for the sake of those who don't yet know christ that's what marks a church in in incline church in decline has lost its edge piper would say that it's lost the wartime mentality but most of us love the plateau church because it is just it's it's wonderful. It's a great ministry. You go there and it's got well-developed ministries and your kids have places to plug into and you've got slots to plug into and you're involved in ministry and you feel like everything is going well. But all the time, the seeds of the internal destruction of the church are being sown because slowly um, Jesus becomes more and more disenchanted with the church because it's lost his heart for people. And what happens is that over time, the church does not bring in new people because eventually you run out of the ability to transfer in other Christians. And that's a, that's a mark of a church in plateau. It's a church in plateau that has very vibrant ministries and is meeting a lot of people's needs will bring in a lot of Christians, but not necessarily a lot of non-Christians. And eventually, if you bring in people to consume a ministry product, create a bunch of consumers and create a consumer mindset, which is very easy to do in America. In fact, it's second nature. Then what happens is eventually people get to the point where you don't have what they want to consume anymore because their needs have changed and you haven't. And you're left with a choice. You can either change to meet their consumer needs again and sow the seeds of destruction again, or uh, you can change. Or you cannot change. You can do nothing. And what happens to a church that's in plateau is eventually that church ends up in decline. You start going down the slope. And eventually decline ends in the death of a church. Some eight or nine or ten a day in America. Churches close. So revitalization isn't a... It's not a... Uh, kind of a fancy thing, a new ministry for people to pick up. It's one of the most vital kinds of ministry that needs to happen in America. Um, I was just talking with a man yesterday who's considering going and being an intern intern for a church in our denomination that has 20 people left in it, mostly older. And this is likely a church that needed revitalization five or ten years ago, but is unlikely um, to return to health. Um, again, it will likely close. And there are a number of churches like that in our own denomination and denominations across America. And most of it, most all of it, there are reasons that every church closes, sufficient reasons that every church closes. But all of them stem back to the very simple thing that Jesus says to the church in Ephesus. You lost first love. You know, I'm glad you came back there. I wanted to, um, 
I wanted to tie that. You actually, I wanted to tie that to something that you said a minute ago. Uh, Jesus' commentary on the on the on the Ephesus church. You've lost your first love, uh, but you said when you first said that that they had, if we could call them this, they had good programs. Oh, they had more, oh, they had more than good programs. They had good theology. Yeah, now. they were they were a solid church. But they'd lost that first love. I think of uh, of Psalm fifty one, where David says, uh, "You you do not delight in sacrifice; otherwise, I would give it. You're not pleased with uh, with my offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O oh God, you will not despise." Mm-hmm. And and we could we could change that up a little bit. We could say. Um, you know, if you delighted in my in my Sunday school programs, I would attend. You know, I would attend them. Yeah. If yeah. you delight, you know, it's good stuff. So I, I think this is the key: is David is not saying sacrifices are bad. Right. He's right. saying that sacrifices are are a means to an end. They're not it. They're not the main thing, and we've got to make the main thing the main thing. And the main thing is the heart. Yes. And yes. that's that's what Always. that's what Jesus is getting at. Now you said a little bit later, then you said that we these churches that are on plateau, they move into decline, they've got a few options. They can they can just keep going the way they're going. Well they can they can shift the, the uh, they can shift the chairs on the deck. And that would be for a church to change its its uh, its its uh, consumer mo to fit the changing demographic within the existing congregation. So, if for example, let's just give one example. So, just so you can understand what I mean. So, suppose a church on incline attracts a bunch of kids, a bunch of families with young kids. And so the way that they go after that is they say, you know what, our second staff person needs to be uh, a young kids ministry person. And so uh, they've got a young kids ministry person, and so they bring that in, and, and they have this really vibrant kids ministry. And as those kids go older, and they realize, hmm, those parents that brought those kids here, you know, we have a guy who's just through elementary. If we're going to keep those folks, we're going to need to have a middle school youth guy who can also continue to meet that, that need that need that parents have. And I'm not against youth ministry or anything else here. What I'm saying, not what I'm not saying. And so they say, oh, in order to, to meet those consumer needs that, that our people have, um, we need to have a middle school youth guy and then, a, and then a senior high youth guy. And then once those kids go off to college, they're gone. And the reason for their parents to be there is also gone. And the whole way along, the church has retained that family for years and they've given lots of money and they've done all kinds of neat things and whatever. But did that family ever get that what we're called to is a great commission mindset, to a kingdom mindset, where we're not here for ourselves, but we're here for the sake of the kingdom. Um, and that we're really here for unbelievers. And that all the equipping and everything else that we do is equipping us to go back into the battle with the gospel. So it didn't, many churches are not sufficiently um, discipling out of people the consumer mindset. They're instead instilling it and catering to it.
Um, and that's what church, that's one option for churches in Plateau. They can just change the chairs on the Titanic. They can shuffle the chairs around in the deck. You can I give, without realizing that they're sowing the seeds of the ship sinking. Let me give another illustration here, uh, because I think it really, I think it really fits. Um, it is possible to plant a church, so using your model, okay, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, incline, plateau, decline, it is possible to um, plant a church that never has incline, that actually, that never has, that actually begins at plateau. Let me, and, oh, and let me explain what that would look like. That would be, and this is, this is what you're seeing a lot of in our, you, you brought up the whole consumer mentality. And very much today, churches are more and more becoming consumer-based services. And one of the ways you see this is church plants today. Um, I'm aware of a couple right now where it's only Christians attending the church plant. Oh, I, they, I'm, they, you I'm know what I'm intimately aware of a church. Just to buttress what Sean's saying, I'm intimately aware of a church in the supposed incline phase of its existence that never reached a single person with the gospel. Yeah, yeah, they just Which started. Not, that's not why we plant churches. Started by moving sheep. It. What's that? What's that? It started by moving sheep. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Well, and you know what the great the great example of of that is uh, is is the megachurch. Now I, I'm not. Many I'm times. not. Yeah, not every that reached significant numbers of people with the gospel, but many times it's it's a, a more attractive program. Yeah. So often the way a megachurch will grow is it brings in the people who are frustrated that their little church is not able to provide um, for whatever their consumer needs are. That we don't have as high a production yeah. quality in our little churches. Yeah. Neither the music, nor the speaker, the preacher, the ministries that are there were not as high production value. So, for so sure. one of the reasons those churches that you're talking about, those uh, eight a day, are closing, one of the, one of the many reasons, because these, these things are always nuanced, is yeah. that so many of those people in those small churches have left and gone to the big churches. To a degree. To a degree, to a, to a degree Absolutely. That that kids kids coming back from college go, this is my grandfather's church. Yeah. And they want to go to a church that's their generation generation. church. Which this latest generation, the baby boomers, were the first churches ever to to really take on this whole consumer thing. Uh, You know, from from the worship music being uh, being copied on the, the current style of hip music. Uh, you mm-hmm. know that's a very baby boomer thing. Um, there's a great article. Gosh, it was in a mo- copy of Modern Reformation years ago. It was written by the the music guy out at uh, Tenth Pres in Philadelphia. I think we've mentioned it on here before, um, where he points out that through all the ages of the church, from Jesus to now, uh, there has always been folk music or the world's music, and then there's been church music. And this is the this has been one of the first generations where you're seeing that crossover. Um, that it's that that the line that line is being blurred, 
um, that the the music of the church and this this will ring of bunyan you know the music of the church sounds just like the music of the world mm-hmm. and that's and I think that's where we're going oh wow <laughs> we need to be revitalized we need and if the catchphrase doesn't work you know call it something else we need to f- go back to our first love uh, we need and that can reveal itself in a lot of ways it can be done in thoughtfully chosen and picked. Sean and I, just so you know that we're not uh, Luddites or, you know, that we only sing things that are hundreds of years old. Um, oh. Sean, I think, has the best phrase for this, which is that uh, both of our churches sing the best of all ages. So we sing stuff that's from, well, our hymnal that our denomination, generally speaking, uses, uh, you know, has songs that hail from the 800s, but many written in the 16th, 17th, and 18th centuries up through the 20th century. And then Sean and I's churches, both of us sing thoughtful things that have been written within the last decade. Yeah. Um, so we're not Luddites here. Don't get that impression. But it's um, – I'll throw around a couple of phrases here that, that – a uh, couple words that hopefully will track with people as I explain them. The mindset of church that has prevailed up to now that cannot work if a church is to be revitalized. The principle or the idea, the way that the people who study these things have labeled these things, um, is something called attractional. And so if, you, if I walk into a church and I, and I find one of the leaders and I say, what do you think will bring new people to this church? Then that leader, whatever that leader says to me, um, uh, is evidence of how um, usually the pastoral leadership of a church has led a church to imagine what will be the thing uh, that God will use to bring new people into that church, new people into the kingdom. And typically what you'll find is um, we have, and this is would be cross-denominationally, not just the PCA, although we have our own foibles in this. But um, typically what that will mean is that we, um, we have a great kids program. Um, we do discipleship really well. We have the best men's ministry. So churches tend to have a crown jewel, as one of my elders likes to put it. And that crown jewel is the thing, and it could be the preacher. It could be the music, whatever age music. Yeah. Uh, it could be uh, the friendliness of the people. It could be a stellar facility. Um, there are a number uh, – it could be the theology of the church. That very frequently happens in our circles that we work And again, none of those are bad in and of themselves. None of those things are bad in and of themselves, but they're fruit, not root. Um, and w- the reason ultimately um, that people ought to come to a church is because they see Jesus transforming people's lives through the ministry of that church by the Holy Spirit through the application of the gospel to people's lives. So in revitalization, many times what's happened over the years is that a church has attempted to bring in new people by attracting them to something something about the church. When the best that I can understand the scriptures, what happens is that Jesus saturated people go out into a community. They think of themselves as missionaries to their street, to their athletic club, to their workplace, 
to their supermarket, to their barber. They think like they're a foreign missionary, but on their own street. They treat their street like everyone on their street is their own family. They think and act like missionaries, and they live that way too. And what happens is that people end up coming into the kingdom. The reason that people end up worshiping in a certain church is that they were attracted to Jesus-changed people. And that is a huge, huge difference from many of the things that, that churches attempt to put forward as their crown jewel. It's, of course, a far more spiritual and a far harder thing. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That's because it, uh, particularly in our American culture, the idea of even knowing my neighbor is, is, is almost repulsive. Well, and, and, and now you're up to two of the three things that keep this kind of ministry from happening. Uh, one man has put it well. This is a, a book that I would recommend with reservations. So this is not glowing. This is, this is with reservations. But I know these folks, and, and I appreciate much of what they have to say, but you've got to take what they say with a grain of salt and filter it through, the, through some of the things. But one man, Hugh Halter, um, and Matt Smay have written some interesting things there with the church in Denver. And um, they've written some interesting things. But, but one of the things that they point out is that there's three things that, that keep this kind of ministry from happening in American churches. One, you just put your finger on, is individualism. Mm -hmm. Another would be materialism. Another is consumerism. And materialism and consumerism are related. But materialism keeps me from giving my goods away to those who could use them more than I can. Consumerism is basically what dominates our lives um, in that I'm primarily looking at life as a set of experiences and things to consume. And uh, intense relationships with people are not something you can consume to get enjoyment from. They're frequently taxing and difficult. Mm -hmm. And so if it stands in the way of my good experiences of the stuff that sometimes I use to get good experiences or what I think will make me happy, and they stand in the way of my individualism, um, then it's going to keep me from that kind of ministry. Notice that the church in Plateau that simply chooses to shift the deck chairs around on the sinking Titanic is actually falling into all three of those. Um, and in order to have churches that are revitalized, churches that have a first love that reveals itself in love for others, love real, internal Christian community connected love that then is witnessed by other people who bump into that kind of community, see how they love one another. And that... that that um, thing that Jesus prays for in John 17 presupposes that there is this overwhelming sense that I have been loved by God so that I love other people who for some bizarre reason God has set his love on as well and they sense his love. And then a non-Christian bumps into a group of people like that and they go, I've never seen people this diverse and and like this who love each other and who love me. And when that happens, that is an extraordinarily different thing. Is it attractive? You betcha. But it's not, an, it's not a consumer program that has made Christ, his gospel, and his church attractive. It's people who are smitten with the love that God has for them that they cannot understand. Because it's, because it's mysterious and it's wonderful. 
Now, when that happens, <laughs> certainly revival has come to the hearts of God's people and to a church. And that's a church that God can use and will grant uh, ongoing life to. That's what Jesus means when he says, you've lost your first love. Sorry, you got me going, No, that's good. I want to make a, um, and maybe this is where we can close because uh, this is this is good stuff. I want to I want to make a very practical application of what you just said. Okay. Okay. Um, because I think that the piece that's missing here. Okay. So we've drawn this picture of incline, plateau, decline, and at any point in there, what you want to be able to draw is you want to begin to draw a new line, a new incline line. Uh, Correct. Second, you can't go backwards. Yeah, Many churches want to go back to plateau yes. because that was the easy good life. But you, Ken Pretty, who puts this really, really well, and we can link to his stuff because people should use it. It's wonderful. It's not the last word. Nobody's the last word. I mean, but but he um, there's wisdom. You can't go backwards. Yeah, you can't. You can't, and you wouldn't want to if you realize the dysfunction that exists in plateau. Well, and something you said just a minute ago that it's wonderful and mysterious. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. and so often the reason it's wonderful and mysterious is is a a big indicator or the fact that it's wonderful and mysterious is a big indicator this was not you doing it. Yes. Yes. This was not something that you know that you got right as a church or you got right as a church planter. This was God working. Yes. And God, you know, as our as our pastor, you and I both had love to say, God loves to use nobodies from nowhere. Yes, yes, praise him. Praise him. And I think that's. I don't want to get on this tangent here, but I think that's one of the problems with so much of what we see as church planting, is it's is it's faddish, it's it's methodologically based, whereas what a church planter needs to be is not a man but he sure he needs to have skills he he needs to have people skills he needs mm-hmm. to be able to preach the gospel powerfully but you know what he needs and this is you're only going to get you will not get this in a book written in the last 50 to 100 years you will not find this he needs character he mm-hmm. needs to be mm-hmm. a man who is first and foremost in love with Jesus I don't know who said this, but I would like to find it out, Um, and maybe we can find the quote by the time we get there, but um, God is much more interested in the kind of people we are than the things that we do. Yeah. And and there are, if you read Revelation 2, about the church in Ephesus, there were things for them that they had dropped that they needed to pick up. So that, that return to first love meant that there were things that they would start doing that they had stopped doing. Um, so it's not that God's not interested in what we do. It's that he wants what we do to be connected with love for him. That what that our doing flows out of our being. Psalm 51. It's, he's not, David is not saying sacrifice is bad. He's saying sacrifice needs to come from a heart that is first changed. And if you go mm-hmm. back, you read the best of the Puritans, what you're going to find, every one of them, when you read the Puritans on leadership... 
what you're go- what you're going to read uh, Charles Bridges on the Christian ministry marvelous book the chapters in that on humility and self-awareness are are worth the uh you know the price you're going to pay for a banner of truth book um although i bet you you could get charles bridges on the christian ministry i bet that's online somewhere oh i bet it is oh i bet it is um because it's for yeah, free for free for kindle for, probably for, yeah too. probably for free for kindle i will check check puritanlibrary.org that's where i always go my first stop for finding that stuff but he, you read any of the Puritans on leadership, and the first thing they're going to say is the godly man, the man you want to pastor your church, is the man who has the disciplines of the Christian life, is, is the man who is in the Word, is the man who has a prayer life. And, and I think that the, what those things are, those are evidences of a person who senses uh, the freedom and the goodness of a father who for some bizarre reason has set his love on a miserable sinner. And this is an inter- interesting intersection I think we should pick up next time, Sean, which is just to say, what is the, the intersection of revitalization with the topic that we did before Ordinary Means in Parenting, which was the whole gospel-centered thing? Because there, I think that there's a very great intersection that would be important for people to kind of see um, and get oriented to, because I think that it is the the gospel-saturated man who evidences those disciplines, who has the love of Jesus that he gives away, both to believers and to unbelievers. He's living out the gospel. It's living out its implications, yeah. yeah. Applying it to his own Because his heart's been changed. Because his heart's been changed. And it's being changed. Okay, so... So that that yeah. So we'll so here's time. the link. Okay, the the big piece. I, we've drawn these lines, and we want to get a new incline line going, either either coming off the plateau or coming off the decline. Um, we want to get this new incline line going, but if you can imagine your your little chart of lines, and the incline line is sitting over here on the side, how do you? I remember the old, uh, was it Sesame Street or was it Electric Company where they would do the you know, they, the first one guy'd say the first part of the word, the other guy'd say the second part of the word, oh, and then remember. they'd you know they'd slowly come together till they were saying it together. It, it was one of those two kids shows, and and how do you get, you know, your chart over here on the left and this incline new incline line over here on the right? How do you bring them together? What's what's the thing that links them? And okay, you ready for this? This is a this is a shameless plug for our podcast. It's the ordinary means. Because I, I th- this is this is where we're going, and I don't think we, I think we wanted to get that here today. Um, so we're going to touch on this today, and we're going to bring this back as we talk about the link to gospel centered uh, next month. Is the the link between a plateaued church or a declining church and a new incline line is rediscovering true preaching is rediscovering prayer because those remember those three things Matt that you uh, that you said keep us mm-hmm. from individuals consumerism and materialism exactly if we were to apply each of those this would be a fascinating podcast if we were to mm-hmm. apply each of those to the word sacraments and prayer we would have a fairly 
accurate picture of what the church, the evangelical church in America looks like today. And I think that the reason, so just that so that people have a little bit of a connection and anticipation where we're going, the reason the word sacraments and prayer are absolutely critical to a new incline is that they are the things that God uses to reconnect us to himself and to the heart of Christ and to the love of God. We're talking about Christ-centered preaching. We're talking about Christ-centered prayer, kingdom prayer. We're talking about sacraments that, that scream forth the love of God for miserable sinners. And so what those ordinary means do is they're not just sort of like, you know, boy, if you do this, your church will turn around. No, there are ways to do the ordinary means that will not do that. Dry, expositional, analytical, academic preaching that does not preach Christ will not help a church turn around. Dry sacraments that are just form without heart will not turn a church around. A prayer meeting that's just there because it's the thing we're supposed to do, that's, that's, it's, that's, that can all be done very formalistically without the heart, the first love for Christ. Jesus doesn't say to the church in Ephesus, you stopped preaching. In fact, it's quite sure that they didn't. But what he does say is you lost your first love. And that what that orients us to is that the point of preaching is to help people restore their first love because good preaching reconnects people to Christ. That That's it. That's it right there. <laughs> I mean, that's, that's the key to revitalization is that reconnection is re, yeah. you know, it's like the, um, it's like the cables, in the back of your TV have fallen out <laughs> over time. And so there's just, there's no picture. You've lost, you've lost the big picture of why you're sitting in front of this box. Mm-hmm. You know, we've mm-hmm. lost, it's a great, it's analogy. A great analogy. We've yeah. lost the big picture as to why it is we're sitting in this, in this box we call the church. Mm. Um, so we'll pick up there. So ne- next month we're going to, we're going to, I want to. I want to do that. I want to apply those three to not apply them. That's the wrong term. I want to draw out what it looks like when say them again: materialism, individualism, and consumerism. Right. Right. Okay. Right. When those three things eat up, they become like the bacteria that grows on the word sacraments and prayer. And they and they so overwhelm them that that they become different species altogether. Because um, we didn't even get to. I'm reading right now. I'm reading preaching for revitalization. Uh, Mike Ross's book. Yeah, yeah. And he gets into there all the different types of preaching that are not revitalization preaching. Huh. And, huh. I've uh, got that book on my shelf. I yeah. should pull it off. So and read it. Um, so we can we can. It sounds like there's some some good places we can go. And so we're going to do that, and we we hope you join us. Maybe it'd be good to get Mike to get Mike on if we can. Yeah, you know, I bet you we could. We should do that. Um, put out put out a couple emails here. Okay, well then let's uh, let's leave it there, and uh, we definitely thank you for listening. I, we hope this has been a blessing to you, and I think we've given uh, definitely some. I, I got some stuff to chew on here uh, that you've brought up, Matt. That I'm um, that I'm uh, need to think through. Uh, So may the Lord richly bless you 
as you pursue him, as you pursue a new life in him, revitalization uh, through his ordinary means. Thank you.